0: So gorgeous was the spectacle on the May morning of 1910, when nine kings rode in the funeral of Edward VII of England, that the crowd, waiting in hushed and black-clad awe, could not keep back gasps of admiration. Barbara Tuckman, The Guns of August. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and this is the first of our book club discussions this month on Barbara Tuckman's classic work on the First World War, The Guns of August. As I said in the episode announcing both the book club itself and this book as our first choice, we'll be discussing the book in successive weeks for the month of, appropriately, August which works out to roughly 125 pages each week. Those first 125 pages for today's episode cover the lead into the war up to the initial mobilization of the armies. Actually in my paperback copy I had to read to page 132 to avoid stopping mid-chapter of the critical Belgian response to the Kaiser's ultimatum. Now I mentioned before that Tuckman writes history with skill and flair of a novelist. And while the sheer number of personalities we meet in the opening chapters, German, French, British, Russian, can seem overwhelming at times, it's the focus on these personalities that makes the book work. In far too many volumes on history, we're bombarded with dates and facts with only passing reference to the men and women actually involved. And Tuckman by no means ignores dates or facts, But she knows that history is the people who lived and shaped it far more than simply the details of political maneuverings and troop movements. In later chapters, we will get, obviously, more detail on the actual battles. But the course and outcome of those battles will make far more sense knowing the traits and character of the men leading them. The book opens with the now famous sentence that's the epigraph of today's episode. The 1910 Funeral of the King of England the nine kings referenced in the funeral procession, all the European ones were related by birth or marriage. World War I was not only the last great war between European monarchies, it was, in many ways, a giant, tragic family squabble. One of the more remarkable things about the first part of the book, for me at least, is this passage. Quote, Some damn foolish thing in the Balkans, Bismarck had predicted. Would ignite the next war. The assassination of the Austrian heir apparent, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, by Serbian nationalists on June 28, 1914, satisfied his condition. Those two sentences are the only real mention of the event that nearly every other book about World War I opens with, and that most history textbooks give our children as the main and sometimes only cause of a war that ultimately claimed 20 million lives. Tuchman, however, by exploring the legacy for both France and Germany of Germany's defeat of France in the 1870 Franco-Prussian War, shows that the war had been brewing for over four decades. The murder of the Archduke was simply the spark that ignited the powder keg. There's been some complaint among critics that Tuckman spends almost no time on the Austro-Hungarian theater of the war, where the conflict literally began with Austria's declaration of war on Serbia, and Russia's declaration of war on Austria, but this is unfair given that she says in her preface that the omission was intentional given the tight focus of her narrative. The reader is invited to explore that area further in other works and she gives us a list of sources at the end of the book that will keep any World War I buff busy for years. That's another strength of the book, I think. Rather than giving an inadequate summation of many of the events of the time, Tuckman mentions them and moves on, confident that the reader is interested enough in history to do further reading on the Russo-Japanese War or the atrocities committed by King Leopold in the Belgian Congo. Rather than pandering to the lowest common denominator in a readership, she assumes we either already have knowledge of these events or care enough to find out about them. There are a few other things in this first section that jumped out at me the first shouldn't really be a surprise the number of points at which war could have been avoided thus changing the entire course of the 20th century is astounding this is often true when looking back on events with hindsight but it's all the more tragic here knowing what came as a result of all those missed opportunities that the war in many ways came down to German General Moltke's stubborn refusal to abandon his precious mobilization timetables is all the more tragic. Given the opportunity to avoid war with France and instead turn his armies east against Russia, Moltke flatly told Kaiser Wilhelm, quote, Your Majesty, it cannot be done. quote. It could have been done, though, and the world would be a very different place today. Another thing I wasn't aware of was the critical role that Winston Churchill played as British First Lord of the Admiralty in preparing England for the war she wanted no part of. His part in World War II is well known, of course, and I knew something of his part in the Gallipoli campaign that came later in World War I, but Churchill was there from the very start. Finally, one of the most telling aspects of Tuckman's ability as a writer of history she said she wasn't a historian, but a writer who wrote about history, is the fact that she makes her account of an event where we already know the outcomes, suspenseful. The best storytellers all have this ability, managing to place us in the midst of events as they unfold to the point we believe they can turn out differently. For example, hoping that Sonny Corleone will stay off the causeway in The Godfather, or that Captain America will bail out of the plane before it crashes into the ice. In the first section of The Guns of August, I find myself hoping that one of the many ways out of the conflagration might actually be taken, even though I knew they wouldn't. It takes a rare storyteller to pull that off, all the more so in a work of nonfiction. So that's our look at the first section of The Guns of August. I hope you're all reading along with us and enjoying it as well. Feel free to post comments on our Facebook page. I'll post this episode there. Or leave a voice message on the Anchor site. We'll be looking at the next section next Sunday. And be sure to look for other episodes as usual during the week this week. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining if you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes it'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free thanks again